who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's four cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they are oppressed, the more they are multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and made their lives bitter with hard service, and mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiprah, and the other Puah, When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them on the first day, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, you shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let them know so they live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this, and let them know so they live? The midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast his out, but you shall let every daughter live. This is the word of if it's your first time at RUF, I do, uh, as Mary Moses mentioned, I want to welcome you. And we want to be a place that whether you're convinced of Christianity or whether you're unconvinced and not really sure what you think about it, we want RUF to be a place that you have the space to figure out the true claims of Christianity. And so we want people to come here, no matter what they're struggling with, and feel at home and feel truly loved, as we talked about uh, last week uh, through the book of Mark. Um, but we also believe in RUF that the Bible is wiser than we are. And that is why every week in RUF we come to the Bible, because we think it's wiser than we are. And we ask really two questions. What does it say about God and what does it say about us? And so that's what we're going to do this semester in RUF. We're going to do that through the book of Exodus. And we're going to march straight through. Obviously, we can't cover every chapter because it's a long book. But we'll cover the highlights and we'll look at those two questions. What does it say about God and what does it say about man and who we are? Before we dig in to our study and begin our study through the book of Exodus, let me pray and ask God to help us. Father, in a room this size, there's a lot going on in our heart. We carry lots of burdens in here. We carry lots of heartache, lots of pain and lots of suffering. Father, some of us are homesick. Some of us are lonely. Others, this is not what we thought it was going to be in these first few weeks of college. Some feel like failures and wonder if um, you've given up on them. Father, I pray that wherever we are, we need a word from you. You tell us that 
all Scripture is breathed out by you and is useful to us, that it's profitable for us. And so we ask that it would be tonight that you would take this passage and make it real to our hearts, cause it to come alive to us, uh, change us, and help us to see Jesus through it. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Um, maybe you've had this happen to you at some point in your college career. If not, uh, freshman, it's quite possible that it will happen. You go out on that date with the man of your dreams, the man that you have been wanting to go out with your entire life, and you come home from that date and your roommate, no matter what time it is, is waiting for you to get home. And when you walk through those doors, they're smiling from ear to ear, and what is the first question they ask? How was it? How did it go? And let's say at that moment, you were to say this, it was good, thank you, good night, and you turn out the light and close the door. Yes, that's cruel, but let's say you were to do that. How would your roommate respond? They would be beating on your door saying, what, that's it? Give me the juicy details. I want to know the details of the story. Why is that? Well, there's something about stories, isn't there? There's something about stories and walking through the events with people and experiencing things that actually draw us in and make our hearts come alive. We it's the exact same thing with the Bible. That's what the Bible does. We often come to the Bible and we think the Bible is like a textbook. And we think, we see these words like sin and salvation and faith. And we think we can just flip to the back of the Bible and find the definition. Oh, that's what sin is. That's what faith is. That's what salvation is. But instead what the Bible does is it doesn't tell us about those things. It actually shows us those things through stories. The Bible takes words like sin and faith and salvation and brings them to life through the power of stories. And in the book of Exodus, that's what happens with the word salvation, a word that is obscure and, and is often hard to understand nowadays. The book of Exodus takes the word salvation and it puts it in story form in order to bring it to life and make it real to our hearts. And so it's my intention this semester to simply tell you a story. To tell you the story of salvation. And every week, what we're going to do is we're going to come in here on Wednesday nights and we're going to take a different aspect and a different feature of that story. And we're going to look at it and we're going to apply it to our lives. And what I hope we see is that as we read through the book of Exodus, that it's not just the story of God's people, which it is. But my hope is that we actually start to see that it is our story too. 
Tonight we're going to look at two aspects of the story. We're going to look at the beginning of the story and the end of the story of salvation in the book of Exodus. So two points. If you have your outline on the handout in front of you, you'll see that the two points are the story of salvation begins in slavery and it ends with freedom. Let's look at number one, begins with slavery. Look at verses 8 through 14. The book of Exodus begins with the Hebrew people who were the Israelites, they were God's people in the Old Testament. And how are they being treated? Not well. They're treated very cruelly. And the reason why they're treated cruelly is because Egypt has got a new pharaoh. There's a new king of Egypt and he doesn't give a rip about God's people. He doesn't care how special they are to God and the fact that they're God's chosen people. And so God's people start to grow in number and start to have some sort of power. And Pharaoh doesn't like that. And so what he does is he strong arms them, puts them in slavery and starts to treat them very cruelly. Look at verse 14. It says he made their lives bitter with hard service. And made them work as slaves. Now why does Exodus begin this way? I think that's a good first question to ask. Exodus begins this way because the Hebrew bondage that we see in Exodus 1 is meant to show us something about our bondage and our slavery to sin. You realize that the Bible teaches that no one comes into the world neutral. That all of us come into the world enslaved to sin and to darkness. Now listen, I know that's a hard pill to swallow. But it's true. And it's all throughout the Bible in one place, and you see it very clearly, is in Ephesians chapter 2. But it also starts to get worked out here. Look at verse 14. Every English translation here actually misses the point unintentionally. And here's what I mean. If you look at verse 14, the Hebrew word there for work, you'll see in verse 14, it actually means to serve, to serve a master. And you see that word over and over and over again in the passage. And the English translates it work. But if we were to translate it literally... Here's what it would read like. They made their lives bitter with serving in brick and mortar, and with every kind of serving, in all their serving, they made them serve. What? You're, that's crazy. Yes, that sounds silly, which is why the English translators didn't translate it that way, because it has to be readable. But, don't miss the point. Don't miss the point that the author is trying to make. Friends, the book of Exodus begins with slavery because it is asserting to us that if we build our lives and make anything other than God the center of our lives, then we are enslaved to whatever it is that we're serving. The word salvation, it means freedom. But it doesn't mean freedom the way we think about freedom. When we hear the word freedom in our day and age, we think, yes, 
No rules. I can live life however I want to. Let's live it up. I have no authority. I have no masters. But that's simply not true. Because you are serving and a slave to whatever it is that you're living for. This summer we took a trip with my family. I've got four daughters. I think I told you this. Eight, six, four, and two. And so just let me say that we were wearing little orphan Annie out in our van on the way to the beach. It seemed like it was on a continual loop. And so I got very familiar with that movie. And if you've seen it, you kind of know the storyline. Annie is holding out a continual hope that her parents are going to come back. Come back and get her. But it's actually quite sad. Because we know, as we're watching it, that they're never coming back. And it's frustrating. The movie kind of gets frustrating because Daddy Warbucks, Mr. Warbucks, the rich businessman, whose heart starts to soften throughout the movie towards Annie, actually wants to adopt her. But Annie keeps holding out hope that her parents are still out there and that her parents actually want her. In other words, Annie is refusing reality. She has this great life that she is refusing on the basis of a lie. And as I thought about that movie, as I heard it for the 20th time on our trip, that's me. And if you're honest tonight, I believe it's you too. You see, we don't believe that True freedom is found with God at the center of our lives. And instead, what we do is we keep living for the weekend. We don't believe that true freedom is found in Jesus being at the center of our life. And so we instead hold out hope that our boyfriend is actually going to deliver for us and come back. Or maybe we even think thoughts like, if I could just have the right body type, if I could just be pretty enough, if I could just get into that grad school or get into med school or get that job, or if I could run with the right group of people, then life would work. Life would be good. I would finally have meaning and I would finally truly be happy. God offers us freedom. He offers us true life. But instead, we run after a lie that will never deliver. And in reality, will only make us a slave and destroy us. Could it be that for some of you tonight, the reason why you're skeptical of Christianity, could it be the reason why you're bored out of your mind with Jesus, it's because you've never uncorked this shocking reality about your heart. That you're actually really not free at all. But you're actually enslaved. What is the thing right now that you think if you possessed would make you feel good about yourself? What is the thing right now, tonight, that you actually have? But if it were taken away from you, 
or threatened in some way would undo you and put you in the fetal position. Whatever that is, that's your God. That's what you are really serving. And let's be honest. Could this finally be the explanation for your first two weeks at Ole Miss? Friends, there is something way bigger, way deeper going on around you and inside of you. And some of you know this, but at Ole Miss, there is a shrewd master that demands service. And it's the God of being in. And some of you have laid in bed at night in these last two weeks and you haven't been able to sleep. And you've been full of fear and you've been full of anxiety. Because in order for you to feel good about yourself, you've got to be accepted in this place. And you've got to be accepted with the right group of people. And yes, you look great on the outside. And you look cool and you look calm. But on the inside, and I know because I talked to you, on the inside, you're thinking, if I don't listen to the right bands, if I don't look the right way, if I don't dress the right way, if I don't say the right thing, if I don't get in the right sorority or fraternity in two weeks, I'm done. I'm a nobody. And then here's the kicker. Is that when you finally get in to the group that you think will finally make you happy and make you feel good about yourself, what happens then? Well, then there's a group within the group. I'm just doing C.S. Lewis's inner room. Look it up online. It's an incredible article. But when you get in, then you got to get into the group within the group. Why do I say all that? Here's why I went through that. Because I wanted you to hear it. Because sometimes it takes us hearing things in order for us to actually feel it and see it. And I hope that you see that that's not freedom. But that's actually slavery. That slavery to people's opinions and people's approval and to the God of acceptance. And that is what's controlling you. You see, we're all ensnared by Egypt's army. Me included. We all have pharaohs that we're bowing down to and that are demanding our allegiance. And the question is, what is it for you the story of salvation, it begins with slavery. Secondly, and lastly, it ends in freedom. I want to take these last few minutes together, and I want to just kind of lay out for us a vision of the book of Exodus as we march through it week after week. I don't know about you, but it doesn't take long to read these first few verses to think that this is pretty depressing. We're not off to a good start here. 
In fact, look at verse 22. It even ends on a more depressing note. Pharaoh commands that all the male babies be thrown into the Nile River. And so it leaves us, I don't know about you, but hopeless, doesn't it? It leaves me feeling helpless and desperate. And my question is, what if that is the point? What if chapter 1 in the book of Exodus ends in helplessness and desperation because that's the story of salvation? The very beginning and the first step of the story of salvation is to realize that you're desperate and to realize that you're helpless and that you can do nothing to affect your condition. What if the point is to say, if I'm ever going to be changed, if I'm ever going to get out of my bondage of sin or whatever it is that you're struggling with, then God is going to have to show up and God is going to have to work in my life because I could never do it. You see, that's the point. And that's exactly what God does. Because in the book of Exodus, what happens? God comes to his people that are in bondage and he delivers them and he saves them. And guess what? That becomes the defining moment of their lives. And it establishes their identity forever. God looks back and over and over, as you read the Old Testament, looks back into his people. And you know what he says a hundred thousand times in the Old Testament? I am the Lord your God. I have brought you out of Egypt. I have brought you out of slavery and out of bondage. That is who you are. There's a pastor Richmond, Virginia, about 150 years ago. His name was Dr. Hogue. He planted two churches which are actually still there today. Dr. Hogue hated slavery. But he grew up and pastored in the South when it was rampant. And he actually married a woman whose dowry included seven slaves. And the first thing Dr. Hogue did because of his hatred for slavery was he released the slaves. Seven slaves. One of the slaves left. The other six stayed. Dr. Hope was baffled. What are you doing here? I've set you free. You can go anywhere. You can do anything. And I won't stop you. And no one will stop you. You're free. And one of the men turns to Dr. Hogue and says, Sir, if we can go anywhere and we can do anything, then we want to be with you. Now, you're thinking that's strange. But think about this. Their whole lives... They have been in the horrific institution of slavery and they've been treated cruelly and abused and mistreated in every way. And for the first time in their life, they meet a man who treats them with dignity, who treats them with respect and honor and love. And so in their newfound freedom, they just want to be near to him. And serve them in any way that they possibly can. Because of the way that he has loved them. 
That's Exodus. That's what Exodus is holding out for us this semester. Because Exodus comes and says, there is another master. God himself, who is good and who is gracious and who is kind and who is long-suffering and who loves you and cares for you and who is actually for you. Exodus comes and says, there is a master that is so loving and so kind and treats you the way no one else has treated you. And so you just want to be near to him and close to him and serve him. That's what Exodus is hoping is. A God that doesn't enslave us, but a God who sets us free. And thousands of years later, this God would come to earth through the person of Jesus Christ. And you know how he would come? As a slave. Not in royalty. Not in the way that we thought, in majesty and splendor. But he came as a slave and he was actually beaten as a slave. And he was crucified outside the city with the worst of the worst of criminals. Why? Friends, Jesus became a slave so that you could become free. And if you come to Jesus tonight, you will come to a master that doesn't grind you into the ground and destroy you, but one who deals gently with you. If you come to Jesus, you will come to a master that when you fail him, Unlike the masters in our lives right now. When we fail Him, He actually forgives us. And if you come to Jesus, you'll come to a master who doesn't say, What are you thinking? You're better than this. Get your act together. No, instead, you'll come to a master who takes your shame and takes your guilt and He covers you and overwhelms you with His love. Friends, is that not the good news that we need to hear this semester? It's the good news that I need to hear. Friends, could it be that the God of Exodus has the ability to reshape our stories into His story? And that's my prayer. That's my hope. That this semester, week after week after week, when we come through those doors on Wednesday night, that we will come face to face with the God of Exodus, the God who brings us out of slavery and out of our bondage to sin and who takes our story and actually makes it His story. And the question is, will you come back? Will you come back this semester and meet the God of freedom? That's an invitation. That's part Father, we ask that you would forgive us for serving other things, other masters and other idols. And we confess um, that we're prone to wander. 
But Father, in the midst of that, would you remind us of your incredible love? Would you remind us of your forgiveness and of your grace and of your ability to change us from the inside out? Father, this semester, would you encourage us with the God of Exodus who is gracious and kind and loving and different than any other masters that we serve in our lives? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.